we decided that there was a there was a, a, a gap in between the big studio films and the independent films. And then most people, when they make their film, they go to all the film festivals. Well, there's only a certain amount of film festivals that are actually sending buyers to buy films. So we wanted to be a company that was a little diversified when it comes to these films, because all filmmakers to me are, you know, they're special. It's a talent. You know, someone can, I've seen small films and I go, man, the studio will never put this on the screen, but I, I, but I liked it. This is the Angles of Latitude podcast, session number 151, with the co-founder of Murphy Media Distribution, Ray Murphy. This is squadron leader confirming hostiles inbound. Prepare for battle. What you're about to hear is the integration of life. Clarity is power. If you live each day as if it was your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. Liberty. We choose to go to the moon. It's happening. And all things geek. Yeah, I'm not sure I know how to answer that. Uh, You got a badass over here. Welcome to the Angles of Latitude podcast. Hey, what's up, everyone? Thank you again for joining me in this session of the Angles of Latitude podcast. I'm your host, JC Preston, and what we do in this show is bring you a life lessons or a message from successful entrepreneurs, experts, athletes, and artists to help you find and execute your own personal mission and live a life so proud of. So now that we have gone over that last session, the big 150, I wanted to bring you guys a special guest for 151 as well. And now I'm not planning on making this a normal thing because I think it was like Corbett said, it's important to get information from people, you know, who are just above you and and their path. I also think it's important to learn from those who have been where you're wanting to go. And like Corbett, today's guest is more in that former arena. His name is Ray Murphy. And there's a good chance if you grew up in the 80s or 90s like I did, you know some of the work that he was involved with early on in his career. However, as you'll hear in this conversation with Ray, he didn't want to ride on the coattails of his family name. So after being involved with those big movies, he started his own quest to become a reputable producer in his own right. Specifically in our conversation today, we'll be talking about what got him into the film industry and some of his early experiences, how young film producers can take their career to the next level, and why he started Murphy Media Distribution and who might be a good fit for them to work with. But before we get to that, I want to tell you guys about Uncover Your Personal Mission, your personal mission guide. And as you'll hear in today's chat, building your career takes a lot of persistence and the desire to be better at your craft. And as we have heard in past sessions, passion in what you're doing can really help you keep moving, even when it gets hard. You know, and that's, that's why the Ikigai model consists of four parts. What you're good at, what the world needs, what you love, and what you can be paid for. In my resource called Uncover Your Personal Mission, I help you find out the answers to three of those items as I don't feel that they're actually covered all that much in a lot of the entrepreneurial training that I've seen. And in it, we look at how to find your purpose, your passion, and your process. These parts make up your personal mission, and I personally think they should be looked at before you focus on what you can actually get paid for. 
So if you're doubting the work that you're currently doing, wondering whether it's right for you, or you simply want to find the work that is right, this guide is definitely for you. Download it today for free by going to newinceptions.com slash personal mission guide. Again, that's newinceptions.com slash personal mission guide. All one word there. All right, before we get started with Ray, remember to hit the subscribe button to get more episodes like this dropped into your podcast player or whatever you're listening to the show. And also be sure and also be sure to leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Again, remember that iTunes is being phased out, so Apple Podcasts will be the app of choice in the not too distant future across all Apple devices. Also, you can support the show by going over to Patreon. That specific URL is patreon.com slash AOL podcast. Show notes and show note extras of this conversation can be found at newinceptions.com slash 151. And as usual, I'll be on after the show to fill you in on anything we might have missed. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is JC Preston having a great day. Looking forward to an Amplify event tonight. But before that happens, wanted to fit in a conversation with someone that I've actually gotten to know over the last month, you know, if you're a Zeno like myself, I know you're probably familiar with some of his work as a producer. In fact, he was involved with one of my favorite movies growing up called Coming to America as a production assistant. And in fact, that was probably one of the first movies that I remember seeing in theaters. <laughs> but since then, he's, he's worked his way up to being an executive producer of work like the big black comedy show, as well as working on TV series such as Retail and the upcoming series Lawless. Today, we're speaking with Ray Murphy, co-founder of Murphy Media Distribution, which can be found at murphymediadistribution.com. Ray, thanks for joining me. How you doing? I'm fine. Thank you for having me, Mr. JC. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Looking forward to having this conversation. And before we get started, again, I want to say thanks to uh, past guest Mark Davenport for putting us together. Really great guy and a wealth of knowledge. But, you know, your friendship, you guys go way back into when you were spending time growing up in Brooklyn, New York, both of you have had uh, pretty different careers, but you've both been successful at those careers. You know, growing up where you guys did, did you, would you have ever guessed that you've had the success that you've had in your life? Well, for me, I, I always knew Mark would be successful. Mark was highly, highly intelligent and um, he was smarter than most. Uh, he was the kid that got skipped but didn't really want to go to the next grade because he didn't want to leave his friends. Mm. But I knew that there was something that was going to be special about Mark. Me, I thought I was going to be in the NBA because all I, all I did was play basketball. And so by growing up in the neighborhood, my friends will tell you, oh, he was the best. Um, yeah, but I never made it. I took a different path um, and – I ended up here uh, mm -hmm. by the graces of God, uh, the the blessing and a stroke of luck. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> um, you know, and, and that's the great thing about, you know, being somewhat successful in this business because it wasn't planned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So just, you know, kind of like the whole Fresh Prince thing, you're, you know, playing people after school and. And you didn't actually get in trouble and sent to the West Coast sort of thing, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I never got in trouble. I was afraid of trouble. <laughs> good deal. Good deal. So how did, you know, being a basketball player and looking to the NBA, I mean, were you, 
did you have success in college? No, you know, it's actually when I was in high school. High school, uh, okay. I, I, you know, you people tell you good. Of course, when you're growing up, you know you're good. You're dealing with, you know, some of the best people. You grow up and, you know, you're watching, uh, you play alongside Albert King, who actually made it. Mm-hmm. There was a gentleman named Jeff Houston who actually made it. He didn't stay as long. Vinnie Johnson, who was you know, aptly named the microwave who won two championships with, um, with Detroit. Uh, of course, Bernard King, who was a little older. Um, so there was a Sidney green was a, a young man that, um, that I played with and, you know, he went on to UNNV and, and UNLV and he played with the Chicago bulls. And I think that's where he got his ring with Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, it's these all the guys you play with. I had the unfortunate uh, 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 accident of, of fractioning uh, my knee twice. And it kind of took me on a different path. And I went to college. It was a small college. Um, I was following a coach that I always played with. And I thought, OK, let me, you know, rehab my knee, get it back together because uh, I didn't play my senior year in high school which is an important year for colleges to look at you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't have that luxury. So I, I had to go a different path. Mm-hmm. And then when I fractured it again, I kind of got a little depressed and, you know, uh, I was like, there goes my dream. Mm-hmm. Um, then I wound up getting a, a job for a little bit. And then I decided I was going to join the military. And I spent six years in the United States air force. Awesome. And by the, the grace of God and the talent of a young man who happened to be my cousin. He went on to Saturday night live and became larger than life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was, it was just one of those things. And, and I just remember getting a phone call saying, Hey, whenever you get out of the military, you can come work for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. I couldn't wait to get out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Harrison, he's a, he's a, veteran himself and my wife has been in the national guard for 16 years and so yeah we definitely appreciate uh veterans so thank you for your service so you got into filmmaking through your cousin what what was your first experience like in in the industry um well when i first showed up i was you know i'm a big guy so, uh, and it's funny because when people look at me, they go, how tall are you, Ray? About six, four, six, five. And I go, yeah, but I'm actually <laughs> only six feet. So it made me wonder <laughs> how the hell do these people look at me and think I'm six, five. And then I go, well, you projected that's That was always my attitude. And mm-hmm. you know, people see you, they just know that you're a big guy. So they think you're that tall to go along with it, which was a psychological advantage for me anyway, in the streets growing up, you know, so uh, just by being security, but not just, okay, I'm just going to be your security guy and that's going to be it. You know, it's, uh, I always tell people it's like the karate kid when Daniel wanted Mr. Miyagi to teach him karate and he had him washing cars and, you know, waxing and doing things. And, and he got mad and said, you're not teaching me anything. It's wax on, wax off. And he he did that little routine and then he realized he was doing karate. Well, by just being on a set, you know, you take in all the things that's going on, which is, you know, quite overwhelming when you first realize how they make a film. And, you know, over the years, I just, I was just 
a little bit more organized than most people. And I took it all in. And I, you also, you have to take an initiative to, if what is it that you want to do? Do you want to be the security guy for the rest of your life? Or do you look at these producers and go, hey, I, I could do that. And so I was slowly but surely doing that. And then when we uh, were getting ready to do Harlem Nights, you know, he just came to me one day and said, look, I want you to be one of the producers on Associate Producer. I want you to learn how to be a production manager because then I want you to, you know, at some point I want you to be the producer for my company. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know nothing about it. He said, you've been doing it. He said, why do you think I asked you? So, you know, just by being organized and, you know, being assertive and um, aggressive, but not that aggressive and, you know, building relationships, it allows you to start producing films. So there's different stages for producers. You know, you know like I mentioned, I was, a, I was an associate producer. So, you know, basically, you know, I'm a glorified gopher with a title. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a learning page stage that you go through. So I had to learn. And, you know, when you become an executive producer, you, you know, you're doing a little bit more. You're handling all the nuances about uh, a film. And it's, um, you know, like a production manager. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, you're taking care of everything. It's the, the, the management of that film and on all of the employees. And, you know, uh, every little venue and... You know, it's a it's a lot. And so when I first seen it, it was the first movie I was on. It was really, really overwhelming. It's Harlem Nights, you shot at night, so you I couldn't get rest because Eddie was directing as well. Mm-hmm. So and then, you know, we were all staying in the same house and then, you know, before you go to bed at six, seven o'clock in the morning, you you're given a list of things. Okay, when we go back on the set at five tomorrow. I'm going to need this, that, and this. So guess what? You can't, you go to sleep, but you don't really sleep because this is your first gig and you can't fail it. Mm-hmm. So you're up five hours later. <laughs> oh. Wow. Wow. So, so there's, okay. So you were talking about associate producers, basically the, 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 the lower ranking folks that do all the little stuff, the executive producers, the, the high command, but there's also co-producers. Uh, I've seen, just the usual title of producer. Um, and then you have, I, I forget exactly the term that they use when you have someone that's associated with the advice of getting something done and they, they're given a producer role, at least in the credits. I mean, can you kind of explain what those other ones are as well? Well, when, when someone is, when you become the producer, that means you're running the show. That okay. means you hiring everybody. You have the connection and the relationship with the studio. They believe in you. It's you're running the show. So you get to hire who's going to be the production manager, um, you know, and then everybody has to come to you. Mm-hmm. The, the, the really, really good producers know you hire a really good production manager, and that's your right-hand man or woman that, you know, only will come to you with whatever issues and get approvals and, you know, cause you're controlling everything. You're controlling that whole movie. It's, uh, you know, every true nuance of that film is the producer. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, that's why you'll see credits and it will say, and it's always changing. At one time it was producer. Now you'll see a lot of them that says produced by. Oh, okay. And that, that, that's letting us know that I'm in charge. I'm the guy that did all this. Um, and then you'll have them where they have PGA, which is the Producers Guild of America. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, that's it, I wouldn't even say it's a union. It's, it's a little um, uh, club that, you know, you sign into and, you know, you get recognized and you can use the PGA, you know, title on your films, which, you know, gives you a little bit more clout and a little bit more uh, legitimacy that you belong to this organization. Um, you know, and a lot of people are starting to do it and it, it's, it's their small union, like, um, and you, you know, your co-producer is usually the guy or the girl that gets that part of it that, you know, is not going to get the producer's part, but you're helping us produce this movie. Mm-hmm. So you, you're going to, yeah. So it's, it's that. Okay. And, yeah, because I mean, you really just see names thrown around with titles quite a bit these days. For example, I was just watching Bumblebee, right? You know, Michael Bay. You know, he's gotten a lot of flack for being Mister Explosions when when it comes to his movies, right? And so he took a step back. He became a producer for this last one, and then it was directed by someone else. And a lot of people say it's probably the best uh, Transformer movie there's been since like the first one. But you know. I, I also remember, I think that Steven Spielberg was actually the executive producer, just to kind of throw his name on on the credits of of the of the film, and it's just you know it's just interesting to see how those those rotations go. Have you ever considered being like? I mean, you have all this 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 knowledge of being a producer. Have you ever thought about sitting behind the camera as the director, or even being on on film at all? No, I, I, I truly respect the director because it's the director is controlling a lot of everything that's on that set and they have to think and they have to have the right frame of mind. So when you see a film that you like and you say, man, that was good, you know, the director really has to get the credit for it because it's his vision. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when he gets hired, you know, it's we only hire the people that okay, you read this script, Who can? who's the best person for to do this type of movie? And that's when you go and get those directors because you know that director can do that job to give you what you want. Um, you know, Michael Bay was, you know, he probably got tired of doing those that movie. It's like, I did it already. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you, when you see people's names attached to it like that, like a Spielberg or whatever, you know, it's not so much that they're actually working on the film. It could be, uh, I'll, you know, I'll take a credit because it helps the film. Mm-hmm. It gives the film that much more uh, credibility. Like, oh, wow, Spiel- it's the, uh, Steven Spielberg is the executive. So that's giving his stamp of approval, which for Joe audience means, oh, I can go, I, I'm going to go watch that movie. Spielberg was on it. Right. He did that movie. So, you know, you get a lot of that and you also will see credits where it'll say by the producer of or the (laughs) director of, you know, they want you to have an affiliation with that director who did a movie. And it's like, oh, so he's directing that movie. And I always look at it, go, why don't you use his name? But, you know, it's like it's it's all interesting the way, you know, the the credits are always being distributed out. And who's doing what? 
And it's, again, it's a lot of moving parts in the film. So, you know, when people stop and really look at all the, uh, the credits and what makes a film, you know, you have to have a little respect for them. So I don't particularly like when the critics would pan a film and I go, you know, somebody spent six months out of their life on this film, working, doing a lot, dealing with things you know nothing about. And here you come, you get to look at the film for free and one night when it's done. And then if you don't like it, you won't give it a bad review. <laughs> and I, thought, I always thought that was so unfair. It's like, you just trashed my work. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, so it seems like a lot of different things have, have changed. I mean, just credits alone and, and how, what titles, you know, and all that sort of stuff. But you, I mean, again, fact is you've been around since the eighties the and nineties. And, and I guess looking back um, as you've, advanced through these titles are there any major turning points in your career that that helped you get to your where you're at now or it's just the just it's the body of work it's the more you in it the more you learn about yourself and mm. where you fit best what do you think that you can do better and how passionate are you mm. um and you know i always like to say when i came in I got dropped off at Mount Olympus. I got dropped off at the highest point. <laughs> so I never got to learn from the bottom and work your way up. So I did something that's crazy. It's, you know, you started at the top, but you know, you want to do things on your own. So you have to go right back down to the bottom because uh, one of the things that I never did and I never wanted to do was capitalize uh, on my family's name. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I once went into a meeting with someone and they go, um, so how come, uh, why are you here? And why doesn't Eddie put up the money for your film? If he believes in your film. And, you know, and I said at the first time that ever happened to me, I was kind of stumped because it's like I never experienced that. And I thought it was a weird question. And it was like, yo, why would you ask me something like that? And I didn't really have the right answer for it. And it bothered me. And I said, okay, this is something that I have to deal with. And the next time I went into a meeting and someone said those things to me, well, why are you on your own? He won't help you. It was like, it was as if they were discrediting me. Like, oh, you don't, you, or if you don't have him, you can't do this. And so when the person asked me that, I said, well, can I ask you a question? And they go, yeah. I said, do you live with your mother and father? And they go, no, I don't. And I said, why don't you? Well, you know, I'm a little too old to be living with my parents. I said, well, how come you can grow up to get your own place, but I can't, I'm not allowed to grow up to have my, produce my own movies and have my own okay. company. Right. And it made them think, oh, and I said, it's essentially, it's the same thing. Yeah, that's a great uh, piece of uh, person that I can have to take with me. But how, I want to grow. Mm -hmm. I have, you know, we have different ideas about different movies and, you know, what we want to do. And, you know, he's he's on Mount Rushmore. So he's looking at things just a little bit different than I would be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was thinking, what about distribution? You know, what about to all these little films that don't get a chance mm -hmm. and that we watch them and see, Hey, how come this didn't go to the theater? And they didn't go because the, the, 
you know, the big boys didn't think that it was big enough for them to pursue it and put it in the theater. Right. And every once in a while, more than every once in a while, they'll get a film like Get Out that's done real cheap and it does phenomenal numbers. And, you know, and, and the studio's like, I didn't think it was going to do that. Well, sometimes the product is bigger than the name. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was a movie that it was good where everybody went to go see it and they loved it. And they spent $20 million all in to make it and distribute it. And, and it made over $300 million worldwide. Mm-hmm. So it was a total, total phenomenal uh box office revenue bonanza for them. Right. You know, on the show, we actually just had two filmmakers uh, who did a documentary on uh, online entrepreneurs, and they are very into their craft. They've been doing videos ever since they were kids growing up and had like summer money to get their first camera. And then over the years, you know, started their own production company, their first production company, and then they, they started another one and all these different things. Besides what you just said about knowing the right people at the right time, how, how can young film producers actually take their career to the next level? Or can they? Well, they absolutely can. And, it's, and when I say this, I know someone will say it's not true, but it is true. It is much easier now for a person to make their film than it was 20 years ago. Mm. Okay. And even when I first started, it was a lot, it was much simpler than it is today. And I'll tell you to give you the comparisons. When I first started, when you pit, when you had an idea for a film, you, you had access to get up to the studio and speak with one of the executives. And all you did was pitch and all they heard was a good idea. And when, once they said they liked that idea, the next step was to, you know, go to legal you know, get everything done. And then they start talking about directors and, you know, writers and stuff like that. You may not even have a script. Now, today, even though I think it's a little easier, it's still a little different because today's executives, you know, because everybody's always in fear of their job, whether they want to admit to it or not. (laughs) You know, they want to be the best. They want to be, I brought this project in. You know, so you hear no a lot more than now than you did before. And so when you walk, the young filmmakers walked in, they have an idea, but if they they have to have the script, not only do they have to have the script, but they have to, they want you to have someone attached to it. And, or sometimes they want you to, they'll ask you, hey, shoot a trailer or shoot something that they can see. Mm -hmm. And so you, you'll find a lot of them doing that, but you know, it's been there's been a couple of films that's been done and projects that's been done strictly on the iPhone. And so it's you know, it's you can do this if you take the initiative, if you have the idea, and it's yeah, everybody thinks you need a lot of money, but you do, but you don't. And mm-hmm. if you really if you simplify what your project's gonna be, if you can pull in the resources to, for a camera and, you know, go and shoot your movie and get there's tons and tons of actors and actresses that are, you know, not, that's not a list that just want to work. And we've seen some some actors that, you know, that we're familiar with and, and people ask, why would they do that movie? And a lot of times they just want to work. Hmm. They so just want to work. 
So, so is this where your current company, uh, Murphy Media Distribution, kind of comes into play to be that bridge? Well, yeah, well, we we decided that you know there was a there was a, a, a gap in between the big studio films and the independent films, mm. and then most people when they make their film, they go to all the film festivals. Mm. Well, there's only a certain amount of film festivals that are actually sending buyers to buy films. And, you know, uh, Cannes is one of them. Tribeca, uh, Sundance, Toronto. I think the, uh, there's one in Germany. Now, uh, Southwest is another one. But, you know, there's, especially in the, in the black community and in the Latin community and the Asian community, you know, these same executives or distributors are not going to those film festivals. Mm. They're not going to the Pan African Film Festival. They're not, you know, they're not going to these film festivals because they don't have a need to go there. So we wanted to be a company that was a little uh, diversified when it comes to these films because, mm. you know, it's all filmmakers to me, good and bad, are, you know, they're special. It's a talent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, you know, someone can, I've seen small films and I go, man, the studio will never put this on the screen, but I, I, but I liked it. It's, you know, I, uh, this Japanese woman did a film once it was years ago and it was about the camps in here in America and <laughs> where they <laughs> went after the Japanese bomb Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. We kind of, we kind of like went in there and moved all these people out of their homes and put them in camps and, you know, she told this story and it was just really, I was like, and it was like the first time I realized that that actually happened. And I was like, what a great story. And he just concentrated on his family and how they got separated. And it's like, wow. And I was like, I wish I had the means to do the distribution for you. Um, and because the studios, you know, because of my uh, relationship, they took the meetings. But the reality was, you know, they never were going to do that movie. <laughs> so <laughs> that person doesn't get a chance. And so what we're, do, like I said, what we're doing is to take these small movies and there's so many outlets now. There's the streaming services and there's the, you know, the cables and because everybody's looking for content. Mm-hmm. And so it makes it, getting back to what I said earlier about it, it makes it easier. Now, what I try to teach people and tell them when you make your film, if you don't get a, a theatrical release and you go straight to the streaming service, it's, it's a different, unless, you know, you really had something that they really wanted, they're not going to pay you a whole lot of money to, for it because it's like, it's like the 99 cent store. You go there and you get certain things out of there. But if you went to, you know, target, that same toothpaste is going to cost you $4 as opposed to 99 cent. So it's a little different. And so, but if you had, if you had a theatrical release and it did well at the box office, now you have a bidding war. Uh, I want that movie because they want to be able to show that movie on their streaming service. If it was a hit movie or a moderate hit, it gives, it adds a little bit more value to it. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you do see, more i i think especially after the the run of of these all these marvel movies and and all those you know usual summer blockbusters that it just 
have become run of the mill, um, you are starting to see more and more of those independent like movies that maybe just a few years ago they weren't necessarily had any chance of getting on the film or on the on the big screen. Um, one that comes to my mind, I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard a lot about it is Unplanned, for example. Right. And, and that one, you know, has caused so much controversy, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's something that shows that these independent uh, filmmakers, ha- is, if they have a passionate project, they have the opportunity to eventually get on the, the, on the screen. So, Yeah, it's, it's, again, it's the flip of the coin, being lucky, you know, you can paranoia activity or whatever that film was that, you know, it's, they made this movie for two cents and wound up making $10 off of it. Mm. And, you know, it's, it was just one of those things that happened This showing. And it was an independent film. Sometimes you just go and you go, I'm going to do this film and you go and do it. And it works out really well for, for yourself. Um, and then there's times, you know, like big blockbusters, it's, they don't always work. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Well, they've especially been and fallen off the, the like BC. I mean, you know, gotta love them. They've tried to do the whole Marvel thing, but they failed miserably. And I don't think that they're going to work. I don't know if we're going to be seeing any more. Um, what is it? The, the justice league oh, yeah. types, but because they've just fallen off so badly, but these, these origin stories that they've been doing, or even going back to Christopher Nolan's Batman, I mean that that was their bread and butter. They need to stick to things like that, you know. And yeah, they just tried to formulize or put into an equation of like, put this here, put this here, and you'll get this much money. Nope, didn't work out. <laughs> well, and the, and the fact that Marvel was able to put out uh, better content than them, mm. and you know, so once Marvel came out with their version of the Bugatti. And then, you know, DC came out with their version of the Cadillac, you know, which car you really want to drive. And, you know, and, and that's what happened. And they just was coming out with the better product. Mm. And so they kind of like just, you know, they swallowed them, you know, and sometimes that does happen. They got to jump on them. They put out the product. They were consistent and constant with it. Mm. And we fell in love with those with those stories. And, you know, we know superheroes are not real. And but I always say when I go to the movies, it's homework. That's number one. And number two, I go to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And and then I see it again to look at everything, how they did it, the writing, all that. I just because sometimes I just want to go and sit, grab the popcorn and just watch. Mm-hmm. I don't want to I don't want to be a critic. I don't want to be the guy that is in this business and knows because sometimes I sit and I listen to people and I said, did, did you do you ever just watch the film? Just watch it. Because oh, yeah. it's supposed to be for enjoyment. It's yeah. not supposed to be for you to chop it up because you don't like it. Yeah, this not. We don't like all movies. Every movie we watch, we're not going to like them. But there's some movies you watch that everybody has a different feeling about. They fall in love. I, I told somebody I like Green Book. They told me it was garbage. I was like, okay, I can't argue with you, but I liked it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's... And it's it's just that's just the way you know people are when they're watching film. Um, but I, you know, you have to me when you're making movies, you have to be passionate. This can't be something that you think is going to make you famous 
or make you a lot of money because that's not going to happen. You have to be passionate about it because it is you really have to pay attention to what you're doing when you're making this movie. And again, going back, it's much easier because everything is digital now. So the camera is a little different. So, you you know, back when it was film. It was actually film. (laughs) It was film. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and they didn't distribute that many movies back then either because it was film. It's as opposed to a print now, it's probably a thousand dollars, maybe no more than two thousand dollars to, you know, to put on a, a digital, you know, uh, uh, hard drive mm-hmm. um, where with film, it was thirty five thousand dollars a print. Wow. And yeah, it, it's just been mind boggling. the the to think about that that savings and and how things have changed over the years. But going back real quick um, about what you were talking about, people discussing movies. A lot of people, at least those that I work, you know, ran with in high school and then in in day to day, you know, they'll be like, "Oh, that was a good movie," and, and this was my favorite part, and this was my favorite part, but or least favorite part. But then, you know, those those conversations where you're probably talking about. Breaking it down on Reddit, there is a subreddit for movies specifically. And each time a big movie is released, you know, all these closet critics come out and they just dissect the heck out of these these movies, like you were talking about. And it's just it's some of the things that I've learned by doing that about the the movie industry is pretty good. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just like guys. It, it it was just a film to to enjoy. Don't don't t- tear it apart just because it didn't fill in the blank. So yeah, no, I definitely uh, definitely agree with you on that one. So with Murphy Media Distribution, are there any specific types of individuals? Should they already have an idea? Already have the the first project made? I mean, what kind of people are you looking to work with? Well, I mean, I mean, if you have an idea. Um, we'll listen to your idea. Um, we'll tell you what you need to do to your next steps because we're not going to help find the funding for you to put mm-hmm. your movie together. We'll point you in certain directions, but you know, our main goal is to take your finished product or once you do receive your money and, or you seeking your, uh, uh, your investment. A lot of times the investors want to know, do you have distribution? And, you know, and if you tell them no, then they'll like, there's a good chance they won't give you the money because it's like, oh, I'm going to give you this money and you're going to make the film and then what? Um, and, and, and that's a big mistake a lot of people do is when they do receive those funds to make their film, they tell themselves, I'll just go to the film festival to sell it. And I always go, that's the wrong thing to do because if you don't get into the main ones that I mentioned earlier, you're not, you're not going to have a chance because that's the only time the buys are actually showing up and they're showing up because it's like, it's like uh NFL combine mm. or, you know, the NBA combine is like, we're going to take a look at the best plays coming out of college, right. you know, that, that's going to go pro and we're going to look at the best films. And so to some degree, the best films are going to be at Sundance it's going to be at the Cannes Film Festival. It's going to be Tribeca in Toronto and Southwest. It's those are where you're going to see the best ones, and you know, and and but there are really good films at other um, 
film festivals. And it's one of the things that my partner and I, we talk about. We Listen, go to all the film festivals, find out, because you never know what you're going to find. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and you might find, a, you know, a, a diamond in a rough dead. You just don't know. Yeah. Well, that is certainly true. And, uh, you know, again, I, I, I'm glad that you're, you're helping people make bridge that gap because it's, uh, you know, there's definitely a need there, especially with, like you said, all the content that's out there. They, not everybody can fit into the major corporations or the major companies. So yeah, good deal. It's, it's a, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's growing. I, you know, I get a lot of stuff. If you, sometimes you go on, I go on Amazon and for the uh, black films, which they have a lot of them, they're not really all that good. Um, But I still watch them and I still like them because I, it makes me proud to see that these individuals took the time to say, Hey, I can make a movie. Now I know they didn't, you know, they did it on their own. They didn't have the right people telling them, no, you got to do it like this and do it like that to save yourself time to cut that, not to say that you're cutting a corner, but you know, sometimes they go all the way around the block to do one thing yeah. and they don't do the coverage on it. There's a lot of things that, you know, when I see the movie, I say, oh, they should have did this. But they, who do they pick up the phone and call? Because there's nobody at the studio. Yeah. Well, and a lot of a lot of these creative ventures, I mean, you got to figure it out yourself. I mean, short of right. going back to school and, and learning the correct way, so to speak. I mean, you know, I, I taught myself how to, to be an audiophile and I don't, I, I can't that I'm the best one, but I, I learned enough to get the job done, even right. though it might not be the most efficient way, but <laughs> you know, so yeah, no, I, I definitely understand what you're saying there. So 2019, what are some of the projects that you're, you're excited about releasing and, and working on? Well, we're, we're right now, we're currently in contract with three projects. Um, and, uh, we have a slate of films that are, that we agreed to do the distribution on once they're funded. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I can catch them early when they're getting their money to make their films, we have a little bit more input. We have a little bit more of a strategy to market these films. And, you know, we save them a little bit of money and, you know, we try to explain to them that you know, the return on the investment is a lot greater. Uh, and they receive it's, it's the way the film business works um, especially in distribution, it's, you know, you get your funds back, um, 60, 45 to 90 days after it left the theater. So when the studios, you know, they make those deals with the theater owners, the AMCs and the Regals and all that, it's a percentage that they get. And it's anywhere from 30% to 45%. And it, and it all really depends on the movie that you're putting out. When they put out these Marvel movies and the Star Wars, the theater owners is pretty much, you know, they're not going to get 45%. Well, that's part of the reason why um, <laughs> I'm right now looking at a, a card that I was, was pretty popular last year called Movie Pass. And that was, that's a game changer. That's completely making AMC have their own membership thing to get kind of deal with that that change of how much the theaters are, are making but yeah movie pass was good idea but badly 
badly executed. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's. It, I know what they were trying to do. It just didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because there's too many people that had to be cut in on that. Yeah. So you know, and it's the studios are, you know, for lack of a better word, they're the godfather of this business, mm. and you know, they have to make sure that they get certain things. If they don't like something that people are doing, then they'll eliminate it. And, you know, that was one of the reasons why they were having problems with Netflix. You know, Netflix came in and kind of changed, changed the game a little. It's like, yo, we're going to snatch up the big stars, pay them a lot of money, and we're going to keep them at home. <laughs> and then they don't go to the theater. And it's like, hey, hold up now. And they have a, uh, the theater, when they take your movie in, they have a rule. It's a simple rule. They call it the 90-day uh, rule. And for 90 days, you can't release that movie. It's out of the theater already, but you have to give them at least 90 days before you can do that so they can try to you know, make some of that money. Because if a, certain films will be released and don't make any money and they'll get pulled after the weekend because, you know, for whatever reason. And so, if you. So that's the reason why when. You see movies in the theaters where they're even though they're digital, they're not immediately released, quote unquote, on home video. Right. The big the ones that do, you know, that's the deal they make. Unless some of them make the where they do video on demand and they do theatrical and, you know, home. But, you know, most of the time, some theaters, they don't really want to do that because if if I can watch it at home, why am I leaving? Mm-hmm. Why am I go to the theater? And so it's it's easier for them to say, okay, I don't want this movie in, in our theaters unless I'm guaranteed 90 days. So if your movie does well or not, you can't, you know, you got to give me at least 90 days before you can release it uh, on any other platform. And mm-hmm. which is, I believe it's fair. You know, it's, they have to make money too. And, and you know, if you get a movie like Black Panther that stays in the theater for three, four months, that's great. You won. But all movies don't get that kind of run. The average movie lasts a month. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and that's a decent film. But when it's a blockbuster, it'll stay there forever. I remember back in the day when, when what was it, Home Alone was like in the theater the entire year, it seemed like, you know? And there's no chance that there's going to be movies like that anymore. Well, and, 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 and when you were a kid and those films came out, you know how long it took for it to reach uh, video because oh, yeah. we just had VHS. Right. So, you know, we live, in, we live in a world now where it moves a lot quicker. Yes. So, yeah. you know, the rules had to change and stuff, yeah. you know. And, it went, and HBO came around. Um, HBO came around and did different things. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, and that was when it got that. That was the big thing, HBO. And if you had it, it was wonderful. <laughs> and now HBO is just like the rest of them. And now you know to maintain who they are, they have to put original programming on that still pushes the envelope, that still shows you that they're the best. Mm-hmm. But but now you have streaming. So Netflix kind of did that, and you got Hulu, you got. Um, uh, Prime, Amazon, um, and the, the real interesting thing is that come October, there's a company called Disney. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think in the first six, the the first year, they will crush everybody until the dust settles. And I mean, they are, they own forty percent of the market now. What yeah. do you what do you expect? Yeah. <laughs> but there's always listen. And here's the thing, because you know, at one time, you know, some people was talking to me about you know doing streaming, and I said, listen, if you're gonna do streaming. You have to do it in a way that it satisfies everyone. Mm-hmm. And and because you have the big boys out there, you're only going to get 2% if you're lucky of, of that, which means you have to have a smaller price point and you have to have a more diverse group. You know, the Disney's and the Netflix of the world can spend tons and oodles of money, which they prove, and then you'll go to it. But, you know, I hear people complain about Netflix, like there's nothing that's ever on. And, you know, and I was like, <laughs> and I'm, I laughed because I said, unless you're in this business and you've seen every movie, you're the only one that can make that complaint. Yeah. But, but the average person that don't usually go to movies that was spending their Fridays and Saturday nights renting movies, mm-hmm. Netflix is the greatest place for them mm-hmm. because there's tons of movies on there for them to watch. Oh yeah. Yeah. Always coming out with new ones and ones you don't even realize that we're, we're going to come out, but they have some stars that you like. And I, I, I did not foresee myself being taken advantage of Netflix as much as I have. I'll tell you that much. Right. Yeah. As we're, we're closing up here, always go through a segment called the rapid fire question segment. And this first one is one that I've been practically asking through all the sessions more or less. Um, since day one of the show and it is who are three influencers or teachers that have helped you where you're at today? I, you know, this, the, the, the top three people that for me did a lot for me was uh, when I was in junior high school, um, there was a, a principal there that was, I mean, she was just wonderful. She's just, she, I just remember her just teaching us, telling us, you better learn how to read. You better learn how to count because you're not going to be in the eighth grade forever. (laughs) (laughs) And I just got a kick out of her. And I played with a basketball coach. His name was Gil Reynolds. And Gil Reynolds was the black version of Bobby Knight. (laughs) (laughs) But funny. Yeah. And, And didn't go overboard. And, uh, and had a genuine love for the community. Yeah. Like, it took kids out of the community and, you know, and he always had, you know, pieces of wisdom that he would lay upon you. Mm. Um, you know, and it's, and as a whole, I, the third person I would just go is my family, you know, and not, not in any particular order, but my family was, you know, we were very uh, close knit family growing up. You know, Sundays was barbecue days over my father's sister house, and we were all over there. And that was, especially in the summertime, it was just the greatest place to be. And then you turn 15, 16, and you realize, I really don't want to be here. I got things to do. I'm trying to hook up with that girl or I'm playing basketball or whatever, you know. But my family, even to today, the, the ones that are still living, you know, I spend time with them. We talk, and it's they're always encouraging about everything. And, you know, and it's, I try to be that to my little cousins and nieces and nephews. 
about just whatever you have to ask, ask if I can help, I'll help. You know, the door is always open. Uh, so yeah, those are the three. Mm. Love it. The next one is what do most people not realize is a huge waste of money? That's a, that's, you know, that's a hard one. <laughs> and I say that because everybody has a different version of what their money means to them mm. and how they're going to spend it. And where I'll see someone that bought a condo lives in an apartment. Well, I call them apartments to be quite honest. <laughs> and they'll live in an apartment building and they'll drive a hundred thousand dollar automobile. And I'll look at that and go, see, I'd rather have a house. I'd rather have spent my money on a full house than that car. Right. But you know, they might have a different, outlook on well I don't want to do the things that go along with a house so that's always a hard question because you know I, I've been in the habit of telling people never count anybody else's money and don't look at somebody's money and tell them what it means to them mm. what advice do you hear adults giving children that you call BS on Ooh, it's a lot mm. <laughs> It's a lot that they they tell these kids today, um, and it just ranges in so much, and from dating to you know careers, and you know, just it's just I can't even pinpoint one thing because it's so much, and I just try to tell kids when they're young, go to school. I know you don't like math. I know they're trying to teach you French. And you don't really want to learn it. You Spanish. Whatever you don't want to learn, I'm going to tell you, you better learn. Because we don't have a crystal ball that determines how we're going to end up in life. And you never know where you're going to end up. I traveled the world and was mad at myself because I was being taught French and I didn't want to, I didn't want to listen to it. I was being taught Spanish. I could care less. And then I find myself as a man in France, in Spain. I'm finding myself in these places with all the subjects and all the tools that were given to me. And then I refuse, you know, in high school, my last class of the day was uh, horticulture. And I just, it's just flowers to me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got older and it's one of the things I really love is flowers. And I go, I wasted that. So mm. I just tell them, just take everything in and, see for yourself because everybody's advice is not good advice yeah that's certainly true uh what's one thing that you would love to do in your lifetime that no one knows about you know i I always talk about the grand slam and the grand slam for me is just really truly not just financially secure for myself but for my family Mm. and you know i just always visualize myself in a room with a giant theater-like screen watching television, getting up every day, hanging out with my family, doing my exercise, try to stay fit and as young as I can, but sitting at home because I always find that a little bit more soothing than anything else that I'm doing mm-hmm. is if I can just hang out with my family, you know, but, you know, they're always busy. The kids are grown. They move about. I don't get to see them as often. Um, So, yeah. And even if we're not talking to each other, if I know you're in a room with me, I'm okay. 
What are three truths that you've learned over time that you'd want others to know? Three truths, huh? One, when you're sick, don't tell everybody because everybody thinks they're a doctor and they're not. <laughs> yep. Or 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 they they hop on Google and they're like, let me let me WebMD that for you. Hey, this is what you got. <laughs> that, and this is something that I seen on sixty minutes, and everything doesn't stay on the internet forever. Mm. Okay, and uh, and I was like, wait a minute, and they were like, no, we're trying to fix it. Where after so many years, the information is lost. Interesting. That's the first that I've heard of that. Yeah, I see that on sixty minutes, and I thought I was like, wait a minute, now are they wrong? But these were scientists that were trying new things to fix where they can see that forever. Hmm. So does, that, and, so does that mean changing like Google's algorithms sort of thing and not yes. being able to find it? Okay, gotcha. Because they because they said that Google has called them up sometimes and asked them to find a certain thing. We don't know what happened to it. Mm. So everything is not forever on the internet. It's mm. like they say it is. It's It might be there for 10, 20 years, but it's not going to be there in 100 years. I, I, I think... Uh, uh, Everybody's not your friend Mm. and everybody can't, you can't take everybody with you. Mm. And that's, that's a, that's a piece of advice that, you know, people should know. And that is the absolute truth. And you can't always keep it real. Sometimes by keeping it real, you have to do things that is, best for you right well and you can't be a leader without drawing a line in the sand right that that, exactly so uh final question what's it mean to live a life of abundance i have no idea (laughs) (laughs) not there yet well you know what And I'll take that back because I do have an abundance in life and that's love for my family. And that's Mm. to me, that's all I really need. I don't want to get caught up in the material things of our world, the big house, the cars and all that, because we worry ourselves to death with them, Mm. you know, and it's, I just found that, you know, when I have encouragement and love for my family, you can't do nothing to me because that's all that really matters. So I couldn't live without that. Hmm. Uh, that's powerful. That's good stuff. But hey, Ray, again, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with me. Uh, again, your website, or at least your company's website, can be found at murphymediadistribution.com. How else can people reach out to you if they want to get to know more about you and or seek that help that they're looking for for their project? Well, they, they can go to the website. They can drop us an email there. Uh, there's, I think we also have a number there that they can call. Um, you know, they can go on IMDB, which is the internet movie database, um, and look up my credits and, you know, there's a contact email on that as well. Okay. Awesome. Well, Ray, again, thank you so much. And uh, it was a pleasure, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it, JC.
So there you guys have it. I love this conversation and getting to know Ray over the last couple of months has been a true pleasure and I'm excited for the work that he's helping filmmakers do. In fact, I have a few ideas of people I might even connect to him in the not too distant future. As far as the show note extras for this session go, I have a few videos that I thought were relevant to today's conversation with Ray. And in the first video, we see the life of a production assistant through Colin West McDonald's GoPro. Uh, he's actually a PA for Freddie Wong's Rocket Jump, so I'm sure that this will give you guys a, a good look into a PA's life in a major production. Uh, next, if you had more questions about being a producer, Rubidium Wu, that is a very cool first name, Rubidium uh, from Crimson Engine goes over his perspective of the role. You know, I think Ray did a really great job of explaining what a producer is, but it's always good to hear more if the field interests you. Uh, speaking of getting into the field, the third video is all about shooting a no budget film. And I imagine that a lot of folks will find this video from Darius Britt inspiring because it might just help you get rid of that excuse of not starting your career in film. And finally, because it's something I've been wondering since session 149 with the Showhawk founders, I have a video from Simeon Quarry talking about how he started and grew his own production company. So be sure to check those out via the show notes at newinceptions.com slash 151. So that's it for session 151. Remember, if you're wanting to get started on your own journey the right way, check out my free resource on discovering your own personal mission. Again, you can find it at newinceptions.com slash personal mission guide. That's all one word. Thank you for spending a little bit of time with Ray and I today. Always appreciate you guys being here. And until next session, dig in, have fun, take care of whatever you're creating, and we'll see you back here next time. Thanks for listening to the Angles of Latitude podcast. Connect with us at home, at work, or on the go at facebook.com slash newinceptions, on Twitter at newinceptions, Instagram at new.inceptions, and on the web at newinceptions.com.